0: I pass by a fellow Capitol Hill neighbor several times each week. Sometimes we say hello, more often we don't. He lives on top of a metro grate, a block or so off of Pennsylvania Avenue. This grate is where he eats and sleeps and keeps his possessions. The steam from underground keeps him warm. There are hundreds probably thousands of people that pass our neighbor each day just going about the business of their lives. I am included in that group. I imagine the blind man in this morning's gospel story understanding the same experience of not really being seen by the people who rushed and raced and lived their lives all around him. My guess is that his neighbors didn't think much about him at all. Their religion told them why he was blind, which was because either he had sinned or he was paying for the sins of his parents. Those words sound antiquated and offensive coming out of my mouth, but this type of thinking has been passed down to us in some forms today that our good or bad fortunes are somehow tied up with where we stand with God. Most of us are probably more nuanced with our language, but pay attention next time you hear someone describe something good in their life, followed quickly by how blessed they are. The corollary, of course, is something bad happening and being met with the response He got what he deserved. I truly believe that God wants the best for each and every one of us, just as we want the best for our children. But connecting our life circumstances to our standing with God is tricky. To give an example, if I believe that I am blessed because of my beautiful family, and my health and my bank account that has enough money in it and my refrigerator that has enough food in it. What do I believe about people who don't share this same abundance? I mean this as a rhetorical question, but I want to plant the seed that words are really important. should be used as thoughtfully as possible. When it comes to our religious vocabulary, words that we take for granted or use nonchalantly sound different based upon our perspective, whether we're the one living on top of the metro grate or the one rushing by that same grate on our way to work. Jesus did not ascribe to a theology of causation. He did not believe that God blessed or cursed our lives because of our obedience or our sinfulness, and that it was a waste of time to play moral blame games, trying to attribute why suffering happens or who caused it. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus makes clear. For whatever it's worth, this blind man doesn't even ask Jesus to heal him. Healing is simply offered and given. Jesus encounters a blind man who needs to be able to see, and so he helps him see. It's as simple as that. The disciples, however, aren't alone in their desire to understand why things happen. We want that too. We look to our religion in part, to help us make sense of the world around us and why things unfold in the way that they do. This question of why might be the biggest one we wrestle with in our lives. And yet it's also true that religion can be really dangerous when it becomes too certain of itself and claims more than it's capable of. I doubt this will provide the type of answer that we're often looking for. But in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to the chance and randomness that we sometimes encounter in life, describing how the sun rises on the evil and the good, and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. I've lived my share of sunshine and rain, just as each of you have. I can't pretend to know why things happen in the ways that they do but I believe with all my heart that God is with us as we do our best to live that question. Although this story focuses on Jesus restoring someone's sight, the characters in the story who are actually blind are the Pharisees. There's rich meaning to be found in the juxtaposition of a blind man learning to see Alongside the Pharisees with their 2020 vision, choosing to remain in the dark. What's humbling is that the Pharisees represent us. They were devoutly religious church people, but in this instance, they were also narrow minded and they were more concerned with being right than doing right. They have all the answers, and so they're close to learning something new. It probably sounds ridiculous to most of us that the Pharisees would object to Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath. But I can promise you, we have plenty of our own blind spots, too. This gospel story was really important to early Christians. Not only does Jesus healing a blind man appear frequently in early Christian artwork, but scholarship suggests that as early Christians went through the catechumenate, their preparation for baptism, John chapter nine was a centerpiece of their curriculum because of the way it focused on the transformation from darkness to light, a foundational teaching of Christianity. I've heard it said before that most of the time we can't see things as they are because we see things as we are. We all have our blind spots. Our spiritual journeys are about learning how to see. In the name of God, amen.